Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for you. We praise your name. All honor and glory and majesty are yours. Help us now to learn how to live in your kingdom, in your eternity, both now and always, in Jesus' mighty and powerful and good and loving name. And all of God's people say, Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of the Good News, according to Matthew chapter 6. We are right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's share in God's good word together. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Christianity is more than not doing anything wrong. Christianity answers the two great questions we all have to answer. Number one, who is really well off? And number two, who is a genuinely good person? The answer to number one, who is really well off, is this. A person who lives now and always in the kingdom of heaven and has intimate interactions with what God is doing in human history. In other words, who's really well off are those who work with God now here on earth as it is in heaven. This person, think about this, this person has no worries. Not now, not ever. Because God, whom they know as best friend, always has their back. This person is free of regret, free from uncontrollable desire, and free from the anxiety of what others think. They also don't worry about death because their best friend Jesus will welcome them home. The answer to number two, who is genuinely a good person, is this. Genuinely good people are those who are committed to promote the good of everyone. Really, hear it again. A good person is the one who commits themselves to promote the good of everyone. Yes, this is much more than simply not doing anything wrong. Dallas Willard taught me this in 2009. Dallas learned it from Jesus and his teaching known as the Sermon on the Mount. Dallas also said that there are two main things that will block this life with God from happening. The first, our desire to have the approval of others, what others think. And number two, our desire to secure ourselves by means of material wealth. In heaven, titles don't matter. In heaven, what we wear doesn't matter. What we eat doesn't matter. Who we are seen with doesn't matter. In heaven, what God wants matters. And Jesus says it is to be the same way here on earth as it is in heaven. We are to live for an audience of one. So let's begin to learn how to live this out together. We are in the fifth week of our sermon series, Jesus in His Own Words. Jesus goes up uh, the mountain and begins to teach His disciples. He is a Jewish rabbi teaching His followers. And so we get to overhear this conversation some 2,000 years later. Um, And the thing that I want you to see here is that so often in um, modern-day Western Christianity, everybody's worried about, you know, how to get to heaven. That wasn't Jesus' concern. Uh, Jesus' concern was how to live in heaven right now, how to follow Him, how to become more like Him. Dallas Willard says it like this, The gospel is less about how to get into the kingdom of heaven after you die and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. And that's exactly right. That's what this sermon series is all about. So we began with week one. It says this, the kingdom of heaven is where what God wants done is done. And that can happen any place, anywhere, anytime. 
Dr. Amy Jill Levine, a New Testament professor um, and of Jewish studies at Vanderbilt Divinity School, says it like this. She says, heaven is a different place, a better place, a real place, a place where God rules and life is as God wants rather than as humanity has constructed. So it's where what God wants done is done, where God rules. In week two, Jesus uh, began to show us how to live this out as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus sets up an ideal community with God as loving Father of us all. And it reshapes how we relate to the world and even to our own families. Jesus says this later on in the Gospel of Matthew. Whoever, whoever, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You'll notice it's whoever. It doesn't matter uh, where you live, where you come from, what you look like, how tall you are. None of it. None of it matters. How much money you make or don't make how healthy you are or not healthy you are, how productive you are. No, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that's it. That is it. So you want to know who's doing the things of heaven? It's whoever does the will of God the Father in heaven. That's what Jesus says. And that's who we work with here at Acts 2. If you want to be about the things of God, we want to be your people. We want you to be our brothers and sisters and mothers uh, in Christ all together. If we're doing the will of the Father, we know we're on track. And that is the only test, the litmus test. Uh, So we can welcome all. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. That's what Jesus taught us to do. And as Jesus taught this, he taught us new fences. Because both in his day and in our day, people struggled with things like anger and murder. And he said the the way if you don't want to murder, you actually have to push that fence out to where you don't let anger get the best of you. If you don't want adultery or divorce to blow up your life, then you're going to have to push that fence out and figure out how you're going to deal with lust and all those things that come your way in everyday life. In week three, Jesus said, and you can do this. You can live this out because you are salt and you are light. It wasn't Jesus telling us to try to be harder. or It's a commandment. You have to be salt or you have to be light. He goes, no, this is who you are in the kingdom of heaven. And so Dallas Willard, again, is very helpful here. He says, it is not, are we seen doing a good deed, but are we doing a good deed in order to be seen? And so a lot of people are like, oh, no, I, I, you know, somebody saw me do something good. Well, that's great because we want people to see what we do if it points to God, our Father in heaven, and not to ourselves. That's the problem with all religion, is when it starts to point at the person praying or doing something, doesn't do any good. But if it points to God and what God is doing, then other people can join in in the kingdom of heaven, and that's great. Last week, we looked at the Lord's Prayer, and what we find um, in this prayer is that we cannot ask for ourselves what we deny to others. We say that with me? We cannot ask for ourselves what we deny to others. Specifically, Jesus takes a little bit of extra time to talk about forgiveness, that we can't ask God to forgive us if we're unwilling to forgive others. And here, let me pause for just a second, because I know some of you have been through some really, really terrible stuff. And it doesn't mean that you have to accept it. It doesn't mean uh, that it didn't happen. What it means is that you're going to untie yourself from it. You're not going to let it have power over you anymore. It might mean that you actually separate yourself Um, from that. Maybe it's a person or a situation, and you're going to step back. You're going to untie yourself from that. So, um, but just in the same way that we want God to to loosen us from things that are painful for us, God says we too are to loosen and let go uh, of things that would hold people down uh, indebted to us, that we're to to forgive those debts, Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Actually, in verse 12, it says that exactly. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so what Jesus is saying in heaven, nobody's walking around heaven going, oh, you owe me. Remember that thing you owe me? You owe me. No, no, no. 
in heaven, we're all sons and daughters of the great and mighty King and Father who has everything we need. And so we're allowed to forgive one another's debts, uh, forgive those who have wronged us. We are set free, set apart, let loose, forgiven. Um, and that's great news. And so I, I pray that I'm praying with you about that. I know that can be super difficult. And if you want to talk more about that, I am happy to visit with you about that in person because I know it can be really hard. Because here's the thing about forgiveness. Sometimes forgiveness is about pain and we're scared. And other times forgiveness is just about our ego. It's just our pride. And Dallas Willard was very helpful to me when he said this. He said, as the ego swells, the soul shrivels. And so if we let our ego get out of control... Um, it diminishes our ability to live in the kingdom of heaven. So this week, all that leads up to this week, and there are five things uh, that Jesus teaches us that will help us find true treasure. It will help us live for God. Uh, and both of the, all these five have a shadow side that if we don't control them, they'll trap us and pull us away from the very thing we want, which is to be close to God and one another. So the first thing Jesus talks about is fasting. He says, fasting can help us experience God's availability to nourish and sustain us. Um, when he's being tempted, uh, Jesus says, I have uh, food that you don't know of. Uh, and when the devil's trying to tempt him to turn stones into bread, he's like, no, we, you're not, not going to tempt me with that. God is sustaining me. God is nourishing me. And so Jesus is talking to his followers over and against other people who followed other rabbis. So he says this, and whenever you fast, right? The followers of me, Jesus says, not, not like other people you've seen. When you fast, don't look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, right? Not like the other people. When you fast, put oil on your head, uh, which was sort of modern day the way they wore their hair, and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your father who sees in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, fasting helps us avoid the trap of living for pleasure and being dominated by our bodies. It allows us to, to live our life for God and not for others. So we don't have to worry about what we're wearing or what we look like or how much we weigh. Fasting's not about weight loss at all, ever, right? Fasting is about connecting us to God and to what God is doing and to our brothers and sisters. Imagine, friends, imagine being free of control by the opinion of others. Fasting allows us to get uh, a hold of our bodies. Rather than being driven by our bodies and worried about our bodies, we actually can say to God, help me know you and your power and you sustain me in this. The other thing that happens when we fast is that we recognize that there are people in need of food. So when we're fasting, like in Lent, uh, we fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. Wednesday because that's when Judas betrayed Jesus and Friday uh, because of the crucifixion. Uh, when, when my tummy rumbles... I remember there are people that they're fasting. Friends, you can't fast if you don't have food. Fasting is a choice to abstain from food that you have. There are people all around the world that can't fast because they don't have enough food to fast from. It's starvation and fasting are not the same at all. Fasting is a privilege. It's something we get to do because we have more than enough. And when our tummies rumble, it reminds us that we do have brothers and sisters that are God's children that don't. And so one of the things that I love about our church is that a number of years ago, we started something called the 30-hour famine. And this is what we do with our youth group. They spend 30 hours uh, not eating um, in solidarity with the hungry. And so they, they sit, this was this year, they're sitting and they're learning. They're even all masked up, God bless them, through this whole time. 
And then they actually not only learn about it, they do some things. They raise money and they do activities so that they actually um, can be empathetic to what's going on all around the world. And so this fasting is powerful in solidarity with others um, and in your own personal life. And particularly for the young people, the young men and women uh, that might be listening today, um, I know that many of you are struggling with body image and anorexia and bulimia, and God loves you right where you are, as you are. And fasting has absolutely nothing to do um, with body image other than to know that God sees you, whether you're eating a lot or whether you're eating a little or whether you're not eating at all, and God loves you right where you are, and he wants you to be healthy, and he wants you to be safe, and he wants you to grow up uh, to be healthy and safe and have a full, long, beautiful life. And so if you're struggling with that, um, I'd be happy to visit with you as well um, and get us connected um, maybe to a counselor uh, that can help you through it. The second trap or the second thing that we learn about the kingdom of heaven is this. The most important commandment is to treasure God more than anything else. We are to treasure God. Uh, You can treasure stuff or you can treasure God, uh, but you can't do both. Not really. Jesus says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. Yeah, it's a bummer. If you've ever had something you loved and it got stolen, which I have, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. When I was in college, my dad gave me his gold military academy ring, which I loved and I wore every day. And I put it in my desk and I went to put it on the next morning and it was gone. And it broke my heart and it broke his heart. And I don't think there was anything wrong with me receiving that great gift from my dad. Um, But if that was my entire world, I'm never getting that back. And so my treasure has to be someplace else or I'm going to be heartbroken. Same is true for you. So Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That stuff doesn't get stolen. Where neither moth nor rust consume and thieves do not break in and steal. Say this with me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Absolutely true. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart goes. Uh, It's going to follow. And so Dr. Levine says it like this. She says, if we have the ability to control our bodies, like with fasting, then we also have the ability to control our stuff and not have our stuff control us. And so if you wonder, well, do I control my stuff or does my stuff control me? Let me ask you a simple question. Do you have off-site storage? Do you actually have to pay to hold your stuff or somebody else's stuff that's been handed down to you, and you have to go pay for that even though you don't use it, and now it's costing you. You might think about that. Uh, By the way, uh, the reason I use that example is because off-site storage has been the number one growing business over about the last two decades in America. It's a big, big business. You see them pop up all over town. And so when it comes to our stuff, I want you to think about this. Is your safe safe? Is your safe safe? What do you put in your safe? Isn't that funny that we call a box a safe? A box isn't safe. I mean, many of our safes you can pick up uh, and they can take it away. It's not really safe. Some people, they bolt their safes in, but those can get blown up and broken into. Or maybe you've had a safe that's so safe, nobody can get in, not even you, because you've forgotten the numbers or the passcode. Is your safe safe? Sometimes we can get so locked up in trying to keep our stuff safe, that we lose our life doing it. So Jesus says it like this in verse 24. No one, he says, no one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God 
and wealth. Now, the word wealth there is actually the word mammon. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But mammon, this wealth, it actually means all of our stuff. It's just stuff. It's not like your income necessarily. It's all of it. It's all the stuff that you've accumulated in your life. You can't serve God and be concerned with all your stuff all the time. You just can't. And here's the truth of it. Stuff cannot save us. Only God can save us. Jesus is our Savior, not our stuff. And so often, it's really painful for me. I see people pray to God to give them stuff so that the stuff will save them. That's just messed up. God is our Savior. God is with us for all eternity. Our stuff is a blink of an eye. We come, we go, we're dust. Our stuff cannot save us. Say it with, say it with me. Stuff cannot save us. It just can't. And, and, and here's the harsh reality of this, friends, and I see it all the time. You do too. If we value mammon, if we value our stuff, our fate is anxiety. And, and people have talked a lot about people being anxious and the anxiety level in America rising to all-time highs. You know why? Because we've got a lot of stuff. And we're working hard to get stuff. And then we're working hard to keep our stuff. And then to maintain our stuff. And to fix our stuff. And to house our stuff. And to hold on to our stuff. And buy security to hold on to our stuff. And maybe even pay other people to watch out and guard our stuff. And we are anxious all the time. What happens if our stuff disappears? And Jesus says, you don't have to live like that. You really don't. Dallas Willard says it like this. Unless you have God first, what you will have to do to be financially secure, to impress other people, or fulfill your desires will invariably lead you against God's wishes. Because now you're having to try to take care of yourself. And as you try to take care of yourself, you're putting your boot on somebody else to step up and get what you want. I mean, we just have to think about that. If you're the one in control, if you're the one taking control, then more than likely you're using someone else to get what you want. And that's not okay. Because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We let God be the provider, the father, and we care for one another equally. So, uh, in another place in the scripture, um, it says this. When the Pharisees, a money-obsessed bunch, right? You can be religious and money-obsessed. Uh, it's happened for thousands of years. When the Pharisees, a money-obsessed bunch, heard him say these things, they rolled their eyes. They're like, oh, come on, Jesus, like, get real. Dismissing him as hopelessly out of touch. So Jesus spoke to them, and this is what he said. You are masters at making yourselves look good in front of others, but God knows what's behind the appearance. What society sees and calls monumental, God sees through and calls monstrous. So when you get that big celebration about how your business has grown and grown and grown, and you know that you've paid people less and less and less so that your profit margin was wider, wider, and wider uh, on the backs of the poor, God's like, that's terrible. That's not great. And yeah, the world's going to give you an award for it, um, but don't expect anything in heaven because God knows what happened really, and God's not impressed. And then Dallas Wheeler reminded me of something that is both beautiful and super scary, depending on where you are in your walk with God. And that is this, that we're going to be dead a lot longer than we are alive on this earth. Think about that. We're going to be dead a lot longer than we are alive on this earth. So it makes sense, doesn't it? We, we would want to care about and live for that day when we pass into the new life, because that one lasts forever. This one's a blink of an eye, the scripture tells us. So we need to be less concerned about the things that are going on right here, 
uh, in terms of our own safety and security and much more concerned about God and what God is doing and that we're right with God. Now, Dallas went as far as to say, if you've got a choice to make between being right with the bank today, you should be right with the bank if you can. Or if you had the choice between doing something sketchy to be right with the bank or being right with God, you got to choose God every time because that's the one that lasts forever. The things of earth is going to come and go. The things with God, they last for all eternity. Dr. Levine, from her Jewish perspective, puts it differently uh, and just as pointedly. She says, stuff cannot ultimately protect us, and we cannot ultimately protect our stuff. We can't. Your stuff can't protect you, and you can't protect it. It's silliness. It's vanity, the writer of Ecclesiastes says. So, um, with your body um, and with your money, um, you got to go with God that's the only good and healthy way to live. And then third, Jesus says we are to be intentional with what we do with our eyes, both giving and receiving. Now, we don't often think about what we do with our eyes uh, other than maybe what we watch, but I want you to hear what Jesus says. Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It matters what goes on. It matters what you see and what you receive. And it matters what you push out through your eyes to people. In Jesus' day, in the first century, many people thought that the eye actually projected light out. And so you might hear somebody say, oh yeah, they got bright eyes or they got joyful eyes or the, you know, the eyes are the window to the soul. Um, in Jesus' day, they, they took that literally, that you had power coming out of your eyes. Uh, and you know as well as I do, uh, maybe uh, if you ever got in trouble with your parents, uh, that that's true, that maybe they gave you the evil eye. You know, they kind of gave you a look and like, woo. And so here's the thing. Have you ever given someone the evil eye? Shooting out beams of malice? You know, you're like, hmm. And so both in what you receive, you want to make sure that's light and not darkness, which is why it's very important uh, what you and your children watch on TV and in the movies and on the Internet. It is super important because that gets in you and stays with you. And so you got to be really careful about that. And you need to also be really careful about what you're putting out into the world with your eyes. Is it love and acceptance and care? Or is it daggers and malice? So that was the third thing. The fourth way to, to live into the kingdom and a trap for us is about worry. What we're doing with our minds. Do not worry, Jesus says. You don't have to. In the kingdom of heaven, there are no worries. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Very inclusive. Your whole life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, your body, what you're going to wear, is not life more than food. Yes, of course it is. And the body more than clothing. Of course it is. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Sure he does. Are you not of more value than they? Yes, you are. And so uh, around our house, if you follow me on uh, social media, you know that we have been visited by a painted bunting. And uh, he loves the little feeder, uh, and he comes. And actually, there's a couple of them now. And um, they just, we, we used to call him our little fatty. He'd just sit there and his little belly would come out and he'd just eat and eat and eat and have the time of his life. It was so good. And so, you know, that was our experience. And just look how beautiful he is. And, and Jesus is lifting up the birds like, this is a great way to live. Consider them. Or you might think of other kinds of birds, like the little ducklings. These are at the pond um, by our house. And they have no cares in the world. They just go wherever mama says to go. They're having the time of life, just beep, 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 and go down, around they go. And at the right time, at the end of the day, you know what they do? They snuggle up under mom, 
It's time for bed. It's time to snuggle down. And uh, the Bible says that God is like that. You know, as a uh, mama hen is, uh, you know, broods over her little chicks, puts her wings over them. That's how God is with us. We don't have to worry. God's got us covered. So we are to consider the birds of the air and the wildflowers, not act like them. Uh, We're not to, uh, you know, just hang out and eat all day. That's not what Jesus is saying. He goes, I want you to consider them. Look at what their life is like. Look how God cares for them. And the God that cares for them will certainly care for you. It's not asking you to eat bird seed uh, or become vegetarian. Although I hear that's very healthy. So Jesus says this, and can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? No. And why do you worry about clothing? Consider, right? You don't have to be a lily of the field. Just consider. Consider what that's like. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. Solomon was the greatest uh, king to have ever lived, the most wealthy guy on the planet at the time. And so Jesus says, so if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will God not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Um, and the people I've heard talk about this, um, it's kind of like Jesus is taking the disciples and kind of ruffling their hair like, hey, you little faithers, you little faithers, you, come on, you know this, you don't need to be worried, you don't need to be afraid, God's got you, you have little faith. And so you might think, well, well, what are the lilies of the field or what would that look like today? Here at Acts 2, we actually have a beautiful lilac bush. We didn't plant it. It was just here. It came up on its own. Uh, It's on um, the east side of the property, and it just blooms every year. I mean, it's got hundreds, if not a thousand, blooms on it. It is absolutely gorgeous. We don't water it. We don't fertilize it. It just happens because God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good, and his beauty just comes up. And we get to experience it. So, when it comes to stuff, when it comes to worry, um, they're actually related. Dr. Levine says, lots of property, lots of worries. Isn't that true? The more you have, the more you got to worry about it. Uh, So Jesus says, you know, you might worry less if you had less stuff. Just less to maintain, less to worry about. And so Jesus says this, therefore, do not worry. What's the therefore, therefore? Well, because he's just said you can't serve God and your stuff. So serve God. And if you're serving God and not your stuff, then this is possible for you. Don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. You don't have to do it because God's in control. For it is the Gentiles, non-Jewish faith folks, who strive for all these things. And indeed, your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first. You strive first for the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. So if God's first, you don't have to worry about all the rest of it. It will fall into place. Now, like a little bird, maybe you got to work hard. That's good. Work is hard, but he's not worried about storing all the seed forever. No, he just lives into what God places before him. The lilies of the field, they simply grow and bloom where they're planted. And we can do this as well. We simply go with God and everything else falls into place. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. And this is true even in the most dire and extreme circumstances. Even in prison, awaiting execution, we don't have to worry. And we know this because of Paul. Um, When Paul writes his letter to the Philippians, he is in prison about to be executed. And this is what he writes. Do not worry about, say it with me, anything. 
Not anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty, of being in need. I can do all things through him, through Christ, through Jesus, who strengthens me because I live in the kingdom of heaven. I've learned how to do this. Even in the days leading up to my execution, I'm at peace. I'm calm. I don't worry because God is with me. And finally, the fifth thing um, that we could either get caught up in or we can be freed of is judgment. Jesus says, do not judge. This is his fifth and final saying uh, on how to live in the kingdom. He says, do not judge. Why? So that you may not be judged. Say this with me. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. This is the same concept we talked about last week, which is so hard. It's so hard on us that we can't ask for ourselves what we deny to others. And so we have to be really careful with our hearts and how we judge because that's how we start to view the world. And we get caught up in it. Don't judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get, Jesus says. Dr. Levine says it like this. She says, Jesus states that the criteria we use to judge others will be used to judge us. And that is the last thing many of us want. We've got to be so careful with this. And finally, we don't presume to know what's in someone's heart. That is God's alone. So when you find yourself comparing yourself to someone else, you start to judge them or think you know what's going on with them or you think you're better than, no, no, no. We never presume to know what's in someone's heart. Only God can do that. And Jesus is super specific about this. He says, why do you see the speck, the tiny little thing, smaller than your thumbnail? That tiny speck in your neighbor's eye, right? That doesn't live in their eye. You're like, oh, you better get that out. When you have a full-on log house in your face. He's like, this is crazy. Like, you do not even see yourself clearly, and you're picking on this tiny little thing, and someone else is like, don't do that. How can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You can't. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. It's of no good to anyone if we don't see ourselves clearly and we can't see ourselves clearly if we're too busy judging everyone else, being in everybody else's business. So uh, let me implore you, work on yourself and let God work on others. And Dr. Levine says it very pointedly. She says it like this. The disciple, the follower of Jesus, cannot be the light of the world if that disciple is too busy judging the world rather than healing its brokenness. You and I, the people of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus, are to be about his work, bringing the kingdom where the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk again, and the hungry are fed. And those who don't have shelter find it through the people of God, through him living in us for the world. So our action step, very simple, uh, but very challenging. And that is in everything, in everything, Play and live for an audience of one, for God alone. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Amen? Amen. Will you pray this prayer with me? Holy Spirit, guide and strengthen us to seek first the kingdom of heaven and God's righteousness so that we may receive from God's open hands all true treasure. Empower us to trust you with our whole lives, time, treasure, talents, and all our worries. Calm our anxious hearts and lead us into life that really is life, a life of peace and love 
in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people say, Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God, let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, it's such a joy to be with you again this day, and to know that we have Acts 2 folks on our church online all around the world. I got a nice note uh, from our friends, the Bartolis in Korea. Uh, we've gotten nice notes um, from the Ramos family in El Salvador. Uh, we've gotten other notes from Mexico and Nebraska and Iowa uh, and Texas. And we just want you to know wherever you are today, wherever you are with us, God loves you, you count, you matter, and we're so glad that you're part of our community right where you are. And so we invite you now to give with glad and generous hearts uh, to support this ministry coming to you uh, and to bless all the world, to be people who roll up our sleeves and do what is best for everyone on the planet. Thanks be to God. Give now with glad and generous hearts.